I never felt fit in my body despite doing everything that I read about in Cosmo. After two years of doing this high protein diet, my body fat was down to 21%. My mind has changed completely, my mindset. I have so much energy freed up to focus on things I wanna do. I feel like now I eat to live and before I was living to eat, all they did was add 16 grams of protein per day during a caloric deficit. Even though they were eating more calories than the other group, they burned more fat and gained muscle. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Oh my goodness, friends, what a treasure to be here today with Vanessa Spina. I adore this woman. If you guys listen to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, you are probably super familiar with Vanessa and me as a duo. She is one of my closest friends in the entire world. We have the time of our lives hosting the Intermittent Fasting Podcast together, and it was so exciting to have her on this show and just dive deep, deep, deep into her work. Friends, she knows so much about keto and ketones and protein. Plus, she's a boss of an entrepreneur and has incredible red light devices and incredible ketone breath analyzer that we talk all about in today's show. I honestly just had a blast, and I think you guys will as well. In particular, we do talk all about measuring ketones in your breath and what it can actually mean based on the different types of ketones. For example, did you know that measuring the ketones in your breath says something very specific about whether or not you are actually burning fat? We talk about how the device was specifically designed for women. And we talk about a lot of my crazy questions, like does protein become glucose, aka sugar, in your body? I can't wait to hear what you guys think. There will be a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. Those will be at melanieavalon.com slash Vanessa Spina. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A-S-P-I-N-A. There will also be two giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And you can totally tag Vanessa in there because she is in that group and she loves reading and responding to your comments. And you can find my Instagram, Melanie Avalon. Check out the Friday announcement post. And again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, Spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal Spirulina tablets on the market 
ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque, it can help alleviate pain, and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S.? 
that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity. If you are using conventional skincare makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up and just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 percent back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful, fabulous conversation with my dear, dear podcast bestie friend forever, Vanessa Spina. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited and happy about the conversation that I am about to have. It is with somebody that you guys are probably very familiar with, hopefully. If you listen to my other show, the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, you know my fabulous host on that show, co-host Vanessa Spina the backstory on today's conversation. So the work of Vanessa goes way beyond intermittent fasting podcast. She and I were already friends before that. And I was already a follower of her work, which is epic and awesome and all the things. She has her own other incredible, amazing podcast, which I highly recommend. It's called the Optimal Protein Podcast. And she's known, her handle is known as Ketogenic Girl. So she's on Instagram as that and all the things. And she has a beautiful book called Keto Essentials, Your Complete Guide to the Ketogenic Diet. And she is also the creator, entrepreneur of the various tone devices, including a breath analyzer for ketones, which I'm sure we 
will get all into in today's episode, as well as a red light therapy line, which I know you guys love, as I love as well. And she has a protein powder coming out, which I'm sure we will talk about that as well. She is an inspiration. She just so happens to be, and this is not an exaggeration, one of my favorite people on the planet. And I have been looking forward to this conversation, having her on this show for so, so long. So I'm just so excited. Vanessa, thank you for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. I feel like I'm going to tear up <laughs> listening to your intro. It was just so beautiful. And I just feel so special and honored to get to be here on your incredible podcast. I'm such a big fan of all the work that you do. And it's so much fun just to get to be here with you today. So thank you so much for having me. No, I'm so excited. And something about you and when we're talking and all the things. So for listeners who are not familiar about our relationship, Vanessa and I, we just, we're on the same wavelength, the same vibe. And I I was thinking about it. Like you're one of those people that when I'm with you and talking with you, I feel most like myself. I feel like you bring out who I truly am. And it's just because I feel so comfortable and I just I just loved like exploring and talking about the world with you because I feel like we view it very similarly. It's my thoughts. I feel like I'm going to cry. Like I feel the exact same way about you. I was thinking about that today and I'm like something about when Melanie and I are together, I just feel so like completely seen and understood. And I feel like when I'm, when, when I talk, you really are a deep listener and that's also a rare quality in people, which it's, it's just so nice, especially when we're podcasting, to know that the other person is really listening deeply. And I think that's just such a marker of a really great podcast host is you have to be really good at listening <laughs> and not just like formulating your next thought, you know, or your next reply. I think about that all the time, especially when I'm listening to podcasters. I'm like noticing if they interrupt, how they're listening. And I've noticed, like you just said, that it carries over into real life. It's like a skill. You get used to like not interrupting because you can't. I mean, you can, but you don't as much when podcasting. Oh, that's so funny. Which speaking of, this is a question I've been wanting to ask you and we, we can you know go into your backstory and stuff. You mentioned at one point we were talking about podcasts And we mentioned how we named our podcast and you're like, oh, that's a story. Maybe we can talk about it on this podcast. I am dying to know because Optimal Protein Podcast originally, what was it originally called? It was Keto. It was Fast Keto. And yeah, when I first started, it was Fast Keto. And, you know, to me, that was everything. I love naming things. I think names, you know, are, are obviously so important, but the first thing that really drew me in about keto was the fact that it was a fasting mimetic, fasting mimicking diet where, you know, you're able to really sort of switch on a lot of similar pathways to when you're actually doing full fasting, absence of food. And that just like, I just found that so fascinating. And so, and the fact that fasting and keto go so well together and also, you know, sort of wanting to impart to people how they can get into ketosis fast. So there was just so much about it, like fasting and keto. And it's, you know, the same goes for like tone and everything, like all of my different products 
are around the word, you know, revolve around the word tone, which to me has so much meaning because it's like ketones and getting toned. And I just, yeah, I really love naming. It's also difficult to do. And so when I decided to change the name to Optimal Protein, I felt like it was time for the podcast to evolve because I had evolved my approach and I feel so passionately about the importance of an optimal protein intake that I knew I had to change the name. And when I changed the name of the podcast, it was really well received with listeners, but I also changed my Instagram name to Optimal Protein Girl because I wanted to maintain, you know, some kind of consistency. And I got so much feedback from my followers, especially people who have been following my work for years. And they were like, no, you have to keep ketogenic, girl. And I was just flooded with messages from, you know, really, really like sweet and thoughtful messages from from people who followed the work. And they're like, no, you no matter what with the podcast, you have to keep ketogenic girl. So within <laughs> 24 hours, I had gone to optimal protein girl and then back to ketogenic girl. And I'm sure, you know, some people were confused, but I had to listen. And it's true. I was I was feeling a little bit sad when I changed it. And I'm so glad that I went back. And to some people, maybe that might seem frivolous. Like it's just an Instagram handle or name, but it's your brand. It's it's what you represent. And I'm so glad that I kept it because even though I am really passionate about the concept of an optimal protein intake, I'm also very passionate about the power of ketones and especially their effect on our physiology, on our mitochondria. So I'm really glad that that I kept it. But is that kind of what you were wondering about? I mean, the name thing is huge. I was actually doing an email introduction yesterday with somebody who has a very famous last name. And they changed theirs on Instagram because they got married. And I spent like 15 minutes sitting there writing the email being like, how do I, like, what name do I put? Like, it's a big deal. That's so interesting that people with the name versus the podcast, have you found with the protein focus, because it sounds like the podcast was already evolving. Did you find that it siloed you at all with the content now? Like, do you feel like that you want to do episodes that might not be a about protein necessarily, or has that not been an issue? It's usually easy to tie it in, but I do, I am always thinking about the name and I'm, I always inevitably come to the conclusion that what I am talking about is biohacking, <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like a lot of people already have like biohacking concepts. And then I'm like, to change a name again might be a lot. So, but I do think that, you know, I've, I've definitely contemplated, changing it to something that is a little bit broader. And it seems that I've gone from like very, very niche to broader and broader. And I I ultimately just want the message to be, to not be exclusive and for everyone to feel included, whether they do keto or not, whether they do paleo or not. The important thing is, you know, we prioritize protein or the important thing is, you know, we're focusing on you know, biohacking or metabolic health or whatever it is. And so I think I'll probably always <laughs> think about about names. You know, the great thing is like nothing is set in stone. Like you can change things. And, and you know, the bottom line is that people who, you know, like to follow your work, they'll continue to follow it regardless of the, the name change. But it is a really good point. And it's something that I, I probably spend a little bit too much time thinking about. The last interview I did, her name was Jennifer Gutman. She wrote a book called Beyond Happiness. It's about like six 
life satisfaction technique. She's a psychologist. One of the things she talks about, and I don't know why I never really thought about this, but after reading it, I was like, oh, that's so true. She talks about how like we put all of this effort and anxiety and thought and time into decisions when really most decisions are not final They're actually just guesses. The majority of decisions that you make, there are more decisions that are neither right nor wrong than right or wrong. Ooh, that's liberating. She has so many like fun facts. Um, (laughs) She says there's always an exit, like regardless of whatever decision you make. There's only a few decisions that are immutable, honestly. And so it's basically, it's like, stop stressing about the decisions. And reading that, I was like, I'm going to like integrate that into my life. So like, you can change the name. Oh, that's a perfect example. Like with Instagram, like you made two really big changes. You changed your Instagram and you changed the podcast. The podcast landed well, the Instagram, not so much. So it's fine. You switched back. I love that. What about like the ketogenic girl podcast since people love your name so much, but then you're going back to keto stuff. That's actually not a bad idea. You know, I've thought about like sort of hacking keto or something like that you know, and I, it's just, it's a fun process. So it's fun to contemplate, you know, and the only thing with keeping the word keto is that I, again, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to feel ever exclusive to people. And I know at the same time that, you know, if your content is good and consistent, people will share it and it doesn't really matter what the the name is or, you know, what the, the image is on it or, or anything like that. It's like a really good restaurant. Like, even if it's in the middle of nowhere, if it's amazing, like people will talk about it and they will come like it's it's at the end of the day, it's really about what you deliver. So but the naming process is is definitely fun to think about. That is so true. Well, do you know why your parents named you Vanessa? They named me after one of their favorite actresses at the time, which was Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, I think we talked about that because I was named after an actress too, or a movie character. I was named after Melanie from Gone with the Wind. I think, yeah, we may have talked about it before. That's really funny. So speaking of your parents, could you tell listeners a little bit about your story growing up and your, and your diet history? And I have some questions about your diet history, but what was it like growing up with diplomat parents? It was really amazing. You know, I think my parents were so adventurous and we benefited so much from that quality in them because, you know, in, I guess when I was born, my parents were living in Cameroon in Africa, which I don't recall much of, but, you know, it definitely impacts your subconscious and everything, regardless of whether or not you remember it. But one of my first memories was being on an airplane when I was four years old because we were flying to China. And I was scared, you know, of what life was going to look like. I was also really excited. And, you know, they say when you have really strong emotions that that's, that kind of is what compounds or it creates memories. And I was afraid of, you know, what people would be like and what they would look like. And it was just such an incredible time to live in China. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And at the time, when I was four years old, it just wasn't, it was still in a time capsule. So it was really amazing to live there. And, you know, on the weekends, we would go traveling all over China. We would get on the trains and go, you know, to different provinces and visit different cities. And it was very much 
untouched and unchanged for centuries. Like it was still very much the way that it had been for, for a really long time. And, you know, they've modernized <laughs> at an incredibly fast rate in the last 20, 30 years. But then we came back to Canada. And then when I was in grade nine, we went back to China. And I had also been in the French system at a French school up until grade nine. And so I only learned everything in French. And then I decided to switch to the international school in Beijing. And again, I had the most incredible, magical time. It was just such a beautiful place, such an amazing place to experience. And, you know, I just think that travel is such a gift. You learn so much from it, especially you learn that everywhere you go in the world, everyone is the same. We all just want to be loved and love our families and, you know, have fulfilling lives, despite what, you know, sometimes we see in movies or media. We're not all that different. So I think travel is incredibly important. And you just, your mind is so stimulated, you know, from from traveling all around the world. So we moved actually when I was 17 in my 11th, at the end of 11th grade, we moved to the Philippines, to Manila, which was also another exquisite, beautiful country. My parents were posted there. And then I decided once I finished high school to move to Canada and go to university in Vancouver, in British Columbia. So I really got exposed to so many cultures and to <laughs> so much diversity and, you know, beautiful aspects of the world. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that upbringing it made it's always made me feel like an international person, citizen of the world. And I think I just learned so much from those experiences. I'm really, really thankful. And they, it just really enriched my soul to go to all those amazing places and, and get to travel so much around like Southeast Asia as well, you know, and just see the world. And I, I kind of got addicted to it because my husband and I decided to move to Prague when we were, it was right before we were engaged, actually. You know, we wanted to continue, both of us, to experience like time capsules, which Prague is a little bit of, and different cultures. And yeah, it's really stayed in me. <laughs> so it's it's a part of who I am now. That's so incredible. Like, where do you feel like you're from? Canada, for sure. But I don't, I also feel like part, not Chinese, but I feel like the Chinese culture will always be in my heart and a part of me because of how much I love it. And I got to, you know, learn to speak Mandarin to an extent when I was there. And I love reading and writing Mandarin and I love languages. So it's definitely a big part of me. And I, I miss it all the time. I wish it was closer <laughs> that I could go there more often. I wish the political situation was different as well, because it would be nice to be able to to bring my family there. And hopefully I will be able to to do that at some point. But it was great to just, yeah, experience so many different cultures. And at the end of the day, I don't know if we can fully say we're just like one nationality, like we're a mixture of all the people we interact with and all the experiences we have with, you know, people and travel and all that. So, but yeah, it's a really interesting question. You speak Mandarin now? It's a little rusty, but I I try to keep up a little bit on Duolingo and I try to practice when I can, but, you know, I'm sure if I was back there for a month, like it would all come back. But yeah, it's one of definitely one of my favorite languages. And yeah, it's a beautiful language. That's so cool. Wow. I'm realizing how much I do not know about this topic. And are there multiple languages in China? So the main one is Mandarin. 
and there's Cantonese, but that's spoken more in Taiwan. So like the mainland China, most people speak Mandarin and there's not really like any dialects so much. Everyone pretty much speaks speaks one and one concerted language of Mandarin. So like when you're watching Mulan, can you read the Yeah. <laughs> I can read a fair bit of it. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. So well, first of all, friends, I highly, highly recommend if you are at all even remotely interested in the keto diet or just healthy recipes in general or taking charge of your health, Getting Keto Essentials, which is a beautiful book. And Vanessa talks about her story and it has the science of keto. And I know, Vanessa, I might ask you some questions about this. I know you wrote it a while ago. You came out in 2017, 18? Yes. And I I feel like I'm really overdue <laughs> for writing a revised version, you know, that is more sort of around optimal protein, everything that I've, I've learned because I, I wrote that book before I went back to school to study biomedical science. So like the next book that I write will be an evolved approach, I think. But I do think that Keto Essentials is really great if you are someone who has been sort of in a high carb paradigm for a long time and you're interested in building some metabolic flexibility and trying out, you know, burning more so fat for fuel or maybe even getting into intermittent fasting or fasting. You know, sometimes fasting can lead the way into keto and sometimes keto can lead the way into intermittent fasting and fasting because you're basically just being primarily fueled from fat and training your body to be more fueled from fat. So I, yeah, I think it, it has value in that sense. And I, I like to recommend to people that they, you know, get into ketosis or get do keto for a while if they're interested in this kind of fat fueled like lifestyle, because yeah, it can definitely help you, you know, like fast for longer, practice intermittent fasting longer. If you are, if you first have spent time cutting down on carbohydrate. And what, what's fascinating to me is a lot of the research on, well, there's especially one study in particular that talks about how a lot of the benefits that come from fasting, it is really the carbohydrate restriction. And that is one of the reasons that there is this overlap between you know keto and fasting. So I, I do think it's it's a great resource for that. There are so many beautiful, incredible recipes in this book as well with gorgeous photos, which Vanessa took the majority of them, correct? Or all of them? Some of them. Some of them. Oh, some of them. Okay. Some of them. (laughs) Um, Well, regardless, they're beautiful and they're really incredible recipes, but you developed all of them. Yes. They're all written by me. Yes. So I highly, highly recommend the book. So your diet history though. Can you tell listeners a little bit about the different diets that you flirted with and your health issues and what led you to trying keto? Yeah, I would love to. So I, you know, I tried, you know, very unsuccessfully to lose weight over the years because I never felt fit in my body despite doing everything that I read about in Cosmo. I mean, (laughs) I thought that if I I did all the diets in Cosmo and followed all of the the advice in teen magazines and and those kinds of things that I would, you know, successfully lose weight. So I I did get some success, 
temporarily, but it would never last. And I was always miserable (laughs) the entire time. And I felt like, you know, this typical, like the classic meme of someone like crossing off days on the calendar. Like I was like one more day (laughs) of this, you know, until I can go back to what I was doing before. And it just never worked. It was never sustainable. And what I've learned so much since then about all the mistakes that I was making at the time. For most of my life, I was vegetarian by choice. And part of that was, you know, being motivated because I really, really loved animals. And part of it was because I thought it was a great way to potentially lose weight and to also not have to deal with like eating a certain way or foregoing certain things when I was, you know, invited to social events, which like were a big part of my life at the time. So it's like, well, you're vegetarian, you know, you're kind of like opted out of whatever. And there's always an excuse, but it also brought me a lot of stress. Like I remember always feeling stressed about like going to social events or going to restaurants. And like, it was so different at the time, you know, than it is now. Like every restaurant has vegan options, vegetarian options. Like it wasn't like that before. So I just tried unsuccessfully for so long. Now I can see everything that I was doing wrong. The first thing I was doing wrong was, you know, not changing my macros, you know. And so I was doing the classic low-calorie, high-carb approach without prioritizing protein. And so I ended up over time of successively doing diet after diet with a lot of cardio exercise, worsening my body composition because what I've now learned, what happens in that situation is they've shown that you can lose upwards of 40% of lean body mass when you do that kind of diet, like the caloric restriction, high carb approach with lots of cardio. And so when you lose weight, you're losing a combination of fat and lean mass. But then when you go back on your former diet, you gain back just fat. So like if you do it enough times, like you're just losing muscle, gaining fat, and eventually... I went to have my body composition assessed with a DEXA body scan and the scan tech was like, there's no way this is right. There must be something wrong. And he said, you're 38% body fat. And I was like, oh no, that's exactly what I am. Like I knew right away because I had always felt that I wasn't like fit in my body. I always felt tired, low energy. Like I couldn't keep up with everyone else. Like I'd get winded after walking up the stairs, but I carried my weight well because I'm tall and so when I would go see doctors, they would be like, well, your BMI is fine. Like, you know, y- you, you're fine. Like, don't worry about this. But I knew that something was off. So once I figured out sort of my body composition, I started, you know, trying some new approaches. <laughs> and I came across an article on the 5-2 diet, which was really interesting. And I thought, well, this is amazing. People are doing this thing called alternate day fasting and they're getting the same results as from doing dieting, but they don't have to diet. You know, so I I really wanted to start looking into it more. And then I found Ori Hoffelmaker, which you and I have talked about, and the one meal a day approach. And so I started that and I I got some results. And at the same time, I was dealing with some really intense like pain, abdominal pain, digestive pain. And it was really scaring me because I would get like this really intense pain that would have me like doubled over. And at the time, my husband's cousin, she had been looking into this gluten stuff because she was doing like something called paleo. And so my husband's like, why don't you do the gluten test? So I 
did the assessment, and then I found out that I was gluten intolerant. So that's when I started looking into like gluten-free things and keto came up. So I was like, well, the intermittent fasting thing's going well. Like, what if I combine that? And it turns out they go really well together. So I fell in love with keto and I think with intermittent fasting too. And the biggest reason behind why it appealed to me and it became something that I could sustain was the data, like the feedback that I got a glucometer, the best like $17 I ever spent (laughs) was on a glucometer and I learned to test my blood glucose and I also learned to test my ketones. And I was just amazed that I could see what was happening inside of my body and I could see how I was reacting to different inputs, different foods, different exercises, different fasting windows. I could see my blood sugar go down from fasting. I could see my ketones go up. I could, you know, I was finally... I felt like someone had turned the lights on like in a dark room and I was no longer just like stumbling around (laughs) trying to figure out where I was going. So the data, you know, was really amazing for me. And that just kind of really propelled me, you know, more so into keto. And I found it to be, you know, successful. But I, so after four years, I had another body composition assessment done And I had lost weight. I had lost about 40 pounds, but my body composition, my body fat had gone down, but not as much as I wanted it to. So it was still like in the lower 30s. So I decided to try this high protein experiment after four years of doing keto. And at the time, everyone was like, no, don't do it. Like protein's so bad for you. (laughs) Um, You know, it's gonna like make you really acidic and your kidneys are gonna explode or like whatever people believed, you know, about protein and especially gluconeogenesis, you know, and, and, and insulin and everything. So I was scared to do it, but I decided to try it. And it was the first time in my life that I felt completely satiated from a meal. And it was mostly protein. And so I was eating during this high protein experiment, like 160, it was very, it was very much like a carnivore diet. I was eating about 160 to up to 200 grams of protein a day. Like it was a lot, but I think because I had been vegetarian for so long and not eating enough protein, it was like my body was finally getting all the amino acids that it needed, all the nitrogen it needed, all the protein it needed. And so I was able to like eat a meal and put my fork down and be like, I'm done. Like I'm good. (laughs) There's like food left on my plate. Like I just, it just blew my mind because I had been like so obsessed with food for so long. I had been so consumed with food. Like I was always thinking about food. I was always hungry. I always felt stuffed, but I never felt Full. Like I never felt full in a, a deep way. I always just felt that stomach stretch of fullness. So I started like, like, oh, there's really something to this protein thing. And at the same time, I had, you know, been going back to school to study biochemistry and, and I started understanding how to read research papers <laughs> and studies. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the amount of research on protein, high protein diets and you know, body recomposition. So recomposing your body towards having lower body fat, lower body fat percentage and fat mass and, you know, maintaining or growing your lean mass. Like there's a huge association here. So it really like propelled me. And then after two years of doing this high protein diet, I had another body composition (laughs) scan done. And with not a lot of exercise at all during this time, because I was mostly studying (laughs) 
learning biochemistry and doing exams, my body fat was down to 21%. And I'm like, okay, so now I'm in the athletic category and I'm not even working out. <laughs> so, And I talked to so many protein scientists who are completely unsurprised by those results and the fact that I wasn't even like really moving much. I was just like sitting a lot at my desk and pouring over, you know, textbooks. And it, it really is amazing that just changing the macros made such a big impact on my physiology and, you know, I really equate metabolic health with body composition. So to see these kinds of changes, I knew that my messaging also had to change towards like what I was putting out. So, you know, I was just sharing everything about like this experience on my podcast. And, you know, that's part of going back to the beginning, why it evolved to become the Optimal Protein Podcast, because I still really believe in the power of ketosis. But what I learned is that you can do a modified ketogenic diet, which has different macros, which we can talk about in detail if you want to. But those those different macros, there's been a lot of research done on them, specifically by Dr. Eric Kossoff, who found that this modified keto diet is a lot more sustainable, a lot more approachable, and a lot easier for people than just eating lots and lots of fat all the time, which never really appealed to me. So you can get ketones and adding this sort of optimal protein approach with intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating, I'm able to get into ketosis every single day, despite, you know, going out of it later in the day from high protein meals. So I sort of found this like really good balance between the two. I find it endlessly fascinating. So, you know, that's that's sort of been my trajectory or my journey to to where I've been now. But I have to tell you that my not just my body composition changed completely, you know, my state, my my mind has changed completely, my mindset. I have so much energy freed up to focus on things I want to do. I feel like now I eat to live and before I was living to eat, I still enjoy food tremendously, but I don't ever think about it outside of mealtimes. And I just feel so satisfied and I feel effortlessly lean. My cardiometabolic markers, my blood work all reflects that. And I feel great. I feel energized all the time. My mood has improved. You know, there's just so much amelioration in every facet of my life that I can't help but feel really passionate about sharing this message and not just sharing it, but also sharing the science behind it because it's definitely there. (laughs) And, you know, I think people need to know this information, especially with the rates of obesity and sarcopenic obesity that, you know, we're dealing with in, in the world right now. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples. 
meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohacking conference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohacking conference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. We had so many similar epiphany moments. It's crazy. It's almost eerie. Like literally when you were saying the thing about how you felt like you had a flashlight finally with with the data and the science. That was exactly how I felt because I discovered the, when I realized with keto that you could measure your urinary ketones, I was like, oh, I can like scientifically measure my fat burning, which I was like, I mean, this is huge, you know? I was like, why is nobody talking about this? Although interestingly, I was actually writing for an interview yesterday about this. And I, and I wrote that down about feeling like I could scientifically measure fat burning with urinary ketones. But then I put a caveat and I said, although my, my thoughts actually have evolved a little bit, even on that front, which leads me to a question about the different type of ketones. Because you said you were measuring in the beginning, the, the blood glucose and were you doing urinary ketones in the beginning or breath? So I did the urinary a little bit, you know, I saw like the strips turn purple and everything, but I just found that it was like, it just wasn't the most practical thing to do on a regular basis. And the accuracy, like the millimolar per liter, you know, results of the the blood was like much more interesting to me. And the way that the blood glucose and the ketones would be inversely correlated was also fascinating. Cause then you get to a point where like, if you see like, mid 60s in your blood glucose and milligrams per deciliter, you know, you're in ketosis, you know, that your ketones are very likely at like 0.5 millimolar and above. So that inverse relationship was really fascinating to me. So I, I mostly stuck to doing the blood. But the more that I learned about blood ketones, you know, I learned that acetoacetate, which is the main ketone that is excreted in the urine, it does level off after a while because your body stops excreting it. So it'll work in the first few weeks or even a couple months. But after a while, it becomes less accurate, whereas the blood is relatively stable. But I always felt that there was something missing with the blood because you're getting a snapshot when you test of how many ketones your body has produced in the liver from your fat and also what's left over. You know, the ketone that you're measuring in the blood is a beta-hydroxybutyrate form and that interconverts between the 
ketone that you find in the urine, which is acetoacetate, but it's also circulating in your blood and it interconverts back and forth between those two forms. And <laughs> I just found that, okay, I'm getting a picture of like what's left over, but what did I use? How much did I produce? Like I would, <laughs> this question like bothered me so much. Like I was like, but I don't know how much I made and I don't know how much I used. So I always wanted this other metric. And I started looking into the breath testing more and more. And what fascinated me about the breath testing is that, so the beta hydroxybutyrate and the acetoacetate forms of ketones are fuels that your body will use, but the acetone is not a fuel. It's a byproduct of the production and usage of the fuel. So when the liver takes your fat and turns it into ketones and glycerol in the liver, and then the ketones go out from the liver into circulation, it's interconverting between beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. And 15 to 20% of that spontaneously decarboxylates or de degrades into acetone. And this particle is so small that it can diffuse out through the airways, out through the lungs, and you can breathe it out. And you're actually breathing out the carbons from your fat. So it's you've got these two fuel molecules, and then you've got this like byproduct of the fuel production and utilization. And what's fascinating as well is that with the blood, you're also limited in terms of how many times you can test because it's always been cost prohibitive. For me, it became my business eventually. So I was able to access more, you know, test strips, more abilities to test. And so when I was creating the tone device, because I wanted to scientifically measure my fat burning, <laughs> I started doing a lot of testing. And what I routinely saw is that if my blood ketone level was at a certain level, if it was elevated, and then I did a workout, and then I tested my blood ketones again, they would drop to like 0.2 or 0.1. And this is something that people like Luis Villasenor talk about all the time from Keto Gains, you know, with the, you know, his slogan, don't chase ketones, is because if you're an athlete and you're working out a lot, you're probably gonna see low blood ketones because athletes adapt and have a really high tissue uptake of those ketones. But the breath, doesn't change because it's still a percentage of what's been produced and utilized. And so like I would do a workout, you sometimes see a temporary like little dip in the breath, but then it goes up a lot higher afterwards. And the same happens for blood. But who out there is like other than me <laughs> and maybe Dr. Dom D'Agostino is like testing their blood ketones like 10 times a day, right? It's just painful. It's expensive. The the test strips are wasteful. But with the breath, you know, you can test an unlimited amount of time. So you can really get into experimentation. And what's also interesting is that the ketones have different ratios between them. So some people can have a ratio of one to one of beta hydroxybutyrate to acetoacetate. Some people can have it as high as six to one. And so like certain states will also cause those ratios to shift. And it has to do with the redox potential of your mitochondria, the reduction oxidation potential of your mitochondria. So those ratios can be different from person to person. And then when you do a prolonged fast, you often see the 
blood and breath ketones completely uncouple and like the breath will go through the roof if you do like a 36 to 72 hour fast. And it'll also stay elevated for two to three days after your fast. Like there's just so much interesting data. If you do a eucaloric diet, if you're doing, if you're eating at maintenance or surplus, then you will also have more coupling of the blood and the breath ketones. But if you are doing a caloric deficit, then you really are using a lot of the blood ketones. And so you don't have as many circulating. And so they uncouple again. So there's these really interesting dynamics between them, which I find endlessly fascinating. And the breath acetone is just a huge untapped area of research. There has been some research done on it so far, but we don't have anywhere near the amount of research on breath acetone that we have for blood or for you know the beta hydroxybutyrate or the acetoacetate. I get really haunted by not certainty, even though I know there's not certainty really in really anything. That 15 to 20 number, is that an average where like everything has the potential to do that and it just happens to typically be 15 to 20% or is there like a limit on like 15 to 20%? Like why is it 15 to 20%? I don't actually know if there's a limit. I think that it's just the rate at which it degrades because so when it's in the beta hydroxybutyrate form, it doesn't it doesn't decarboxylate spontaneously. It doesn't degrade. But when it goes from beta-hydroxybutyrate into acetoacetate, then in the form of acetoacetate, that form will spontaneously decarboxylate. And that just seems to be the rate at which it has been found to decarboxylate in the research that's been done. So I'm sure you could find someone out there who maybe has a 5% or you know, a 30%, but that seems to be the rate that they find consistently in the research. But again, it's an underserved area of research. So I'm so excited for what's going to come out in the coming years about breath acetone, which it's referred to. And also there's a really high correlation with seizure control and reduction of seizure with breath acetone which is really interesting. And so there's definitely a lot of research going into that. And, you know, I think like, for example, with the blood and with urine, we know that, okay, 0.5 millimolar is sort of that entry point of when you're considered to be in ketogenesis. With acetoacetate, I think it's 15 milligrams per liter, but with breath acetone, we don't have that established because it just there just hasn't been enough research done on it yet. So, you know, I think there's just so much more that we're going to continue to learn about it. And and it just has so much potential in terms of like the, the benefits that, you know, we could get from that kind of research. Okay. The ratio that people, where it might be different, was that the acetoacetate to beta hydroxybutyrate ratio that varies? Yeah. So, depending on a person's redox potential or reduction potential of their mitochondria, basically, in other words, you I guess you could kind of say like how healthy or how, you know, efficient the mitochondria are, the ratio will differ from person to person. And that's something that I know that Dr. Dom D'Agostino has been doing research on and they're trying to understand the ratios more, but it seems to be related mostly to the redox potential and NADH levels. So it's it's a whole like rabbit hole I've spent 
you know, many hours looking into and, and understanding. But if you you do a lot of practices, a lot of the biohacking practices or protocols that we, you know, tend to both geek out about, you'll tend to have, you know, better redox potential. You'll, you know, if you're doing things with your circadian rhythm alignment and you're moving well and you're, you know, eating, you're not eating all the processed food and the sugar and, you know, your mitochondria is doing well, you know, you'll tend to have a higher redox potential. And so that will affect the ratios between beta hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. But that's as much as I know on, on the ratios because they're still trying to establish why those ratios even happen. Beneficially favoring which side, like which side would you want more of? I don't think it really matters. It's just that when you, so when you're in the beta hydroxybutyrate form, it's more like a storage form of the ketones because it's kind of like ketones plus an extra electron, I think. So it's kind of the storage form of ketones. And then when you are ready to use them, that's when it goes into the acetoacetate form. So there's probably a lot of different variables, you know, that affect the usage and like what is making you have a higher demand and usage for them versus what is making you just like produce a lot for storage. And that probably also comes with like keto adaptation and doing keto for a longer period of time. Like you'll be more adapted. Maybe you'll be more readily converting it into acetoacetate <laughs> than someone who is like not you know, just doing keto for the first time or a one-off kind of thing. Because what I was wondering and thinking about was it sounds like, do you find that people will have, because of all these factors, so their, you know, ratio of BHB to acetoacetate and their redox potential and then their level of spontaneous decarb, wait, what is it? Decarb Decarboxylation. Decarboxylation. Would people have individual baselines for their breath ketones? Like, would they need to compare themselves to themselves? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked this. I talk about it all the time, kind of endlessly with the tone, because what I found is that people do have different baselines of breath acetone and not, you know, people have that a lot of bio-individuality. I've had talked in so many episodes about this, especially when the tone first came out, because there's a lot of education, obviously, with like a new device, a new tool. And what I found to be really helpful is there's either two things that I recommend. I'm just finishing writing the manuals on the new tone devices right now. So this is something I've been just writing for the past couple of days and rewriting. This section in particular is something that I decided to include in the actual manual this time before I just had it like on the FAQ page and I would talk about it on the podcast or in different groups. So I recommend that people either do a 24-hour fast when they first get the tone or they're ready to use it, or they do an MCT challenge. And either of those is going to induce metabolic switching whereby your body starts predominantly burning fat for fuel and producing ketones. And if you're someone who likes to fast and a 24-hour fast is easy for you to do, you can then do that 24-hour fast. Once the 24-hour fast is completed, you can test your blood ketones and your breath acetone, and you'll get an idea of what your individual ratio is. So then you can continue to test, you know, because you'll typically see the breath acetone stays elevated for a little bit longer 
when you're fasting, especially 24 hours, 36 hours, 72 hours, like you're just straight burning fat, right? Like there's no glycogen left. Your insulin is super suppressed and fat oxidation is fully ramped up. So in that state, you're producing a lot of ketones. And that's the best way that I found to figure out like that ratio or that baseline for yourself. So you're like, okay, this is my baseline. And then this is what my breath acetone looks like when I'm in a deep state of ketosis. And so you'll see probably after 24-hour fast, some people will be at like 1.0 millimolar ketones, blood ketones. Some people will be at two or higher. And your breath acetone, whatever the number is, will also be like a ratio of that, if that makes sense. The MCT challenge is something that I recommend for people who are not wanting to do a 24-hour fast. So you take a couple tablespoons of MCT oil powder or MCT oil, like in a coffee, and then you test usually for the next hour or two. And after a couple of hours, you'll hit the peak blood concentrations of ketones because your body metabolizes that MCTs right into ketones. And you'll also see that ratio on the breath and what that is for you. So then you know, like, this is what my breath acetone is at baseline. And this is what it is when I'm in deep ketosis or at, you know, 0.5 millimolar or 1.0 millimolar. Usually after a couple tablespoons of MCT, most people will get to, will reach at least 1.0 millimolar. So you'll get to see what that looks like on the tone. And for you, it might be exactly like one-to-one. It might be 1.0 millimolar blood ketones, and you'll see a 10 ketone units on the tone device or whichever breath, you know, acetone device you're using in parts per million. Or it may be a ratio of like six to one, you know, where you'll see like 60 on the tone device and 1.0 millimolar, if that makes sense. It's interesting though, too, I actually haven't tested my ketones in any form in probably a few years. And when I would, I was primarily testing blood, occasionally breath. Urinary was like way back in the day. I would really never register ketones, even after 24 hours of fasting. The only time I would would be if I had MCTs, and then it would shoot through the roof. That's so interesting. I wonder why even after 24 hours you would you wouldn't see any elevation? Not usually. My going theory was I was just really like fueling up a day's worth of liver glycogen every night and then maybe using that and burning fat but maybe not actually switching into ketosis. It would be interesting to do it again, but I would have low blood sugar and everything. But with your device, are you creating a calibration period with like an algorithm to help people with this? I actually just created this new page in the manual, which is the calibration page (laughs) last night. Because I, again, I had it on the FAQ page and I would send it to people. It was a little bit too like buried in the manual. And I've realized like a lot of people don't have the time to read the manuals or they just want like a quick start guide. So I'm like, this is the calibration. But typically when you get the tone device, which is the breath ketone analyzer that I created, you have to turn it on and let it count down to zero. So it warms up in about 20 seconds. 
you let it count down to zero and then turn itself off three times in a row. And that will calibrate it. And if you've ever gone a while without using it, like if you were away, even for like a few weeks, it's a good idea to do it again. And sometimes even if you just see like numbers that don't seem right to you, you can do a calibration and it it could just be that like it needed a little a little bit of a reset. So you can do the calibration anytime, but I definitely recommend it when people first get the tone and take it out of the box. And sometimes it can take a few days to warm up because it's been like sitting in its little box, you know, in a cold warehouse unused. And it's it's just something really interesting about it because it's technology. So you just like expect to turn it on and have it work properly. I had I had one friend, Kelly Hogan. She's a very big personality in the She's carnivore, right? Carnivore space. Yeah. She's really amazing. We've met up in person a couple of times. She's just like the most down to earth, amazing person. Anyways, I I sent her a tone. I told her like it can take, you know, a few days sometimes to warm up. Like the most I've seen is like a week. It took her four weeks for some reason. It's the only time it's ever happened. But of course, that happened with her device. (laughs) And it took four weeks of her using it. And it suddenly like woke up after four weeks. And for the first four weeks, it was like always showing her like between zero and four, where we both knew that she definitely like probably had higher ketones than that. And then it just suddenly woke up and then the numbers that she was getting were super accurate. It's the only time that's ever happened. And I have no idea why, but yeah, there's just something about that. But yeah, the calibration, it's a great point and it really helps, you know, when you first get it, it can also be done at any time. And with the tone device, it has, we did something a little bit extreme, which was having only a 20 second warm up. And that's also when the device is calibrating and, and warming up, whereas a lot of devices are much longer than that. I really wanted it to be something that you could just turn on and, you know, get a result relatively quick instead of like waiting and waiting and waiting for it to warm up each time. I'm really glad that it worked out. Was that the new version that she had that did that or the? That was the first generation. So hopefully that won't happen <laughs> again when people get the device, what are the the chances that it will take a few weeks to start working and how will they know? I don't think that'll happen at, at this point. Like all of the, the new, so I've been creating this second generation of the tone device for the past year and a half. And all of the devices that I've tested, all of the new versions I've tested over the past year and a half, especially in the last like I would say eight to 10 months, like none of them have ever had that issue. Like they just work right from the beginning when I take them out. So, you know, with every first version of a product, you know, there's, there's going to be issues that come up. One of the main issues that we had with the first one is that a lot of people I think are testing it throughout the day when they're on a high carb diet or if they're having a high carb day. And what I've tried to make explicitly clear in the manual this time is it really is intended for people who are either doing intermittent fasting, prolonged fasting, doing strict keto macros, or doing like some kind of like MCT challenge or something like that. So if you're fasting, you can wake up in the morning, you test before you brush your teeth or use mouthwash because that can 
affect the sensor. It's very delicate. So <laughs> mouthwash, like people, you know, will test after that and you'll see like a 99 reading on it. It's just, it makes it go through the roof. So mouthwash, because it has alcohol in it and ethanol is confused by the sensor as uh, a false positive. So before you brush your teeth, mouthwash, eat or drink anything in a fasted state, you test. If you are doing time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting and you're having your first meal, like at lunch or dinner, and you've only had beverages like water, coffee, or tea, you can continue testing up until you open your eating window. So I usually test in the morning and then I test like right before I'm about to have my first meal. And you can also test like before and after exercise during that time, as long as you haven't consumed any food. So once you consume food, if it's not strict keto, then I don't recommend using it because what I've learned from, from doing this is that our microbiota, microbiota, they ferment the carbohydrates that we eat and also our mitochondria produce CO2 from the conversion of carbs into glucose and then pruvate in the Krebs cycle. And so the CO2 levels, if they're really high, they can also produce false positives on the tone, but they can also mess with the sensor. So it's really not advised to test after eating carbohydrate or eating in a way that's not low carb or keto. And that can really ensure the highest accuracy. So one of the things that was happening with the first generation is like people were testing after accidentally like having a glass of wine or having some alcohol and then seeing the meter go crazy. And, you know, I think that eventually the CO2 levels and the alcohol started to affect the sensor. So you would start to see like a drift sometimes with the ketones, like they could go higher and higher and get stuck on a number. So that was one of the things. So I have a few people that that happened with, with the first generation, and I'm sending them all replacements with this brand new second generation. But I hope that I can be better also at educating people and sharing like the sensitivity of the sensor and how it really should only be used in the fasted state. However long you're fasted, you can continue to test as long as it's not right after brushing your teeth or using mouthwash. And, you know, as soon as you eat, you know, if, especially if you're eating carbs and just wait until the next morning to test again in a fasted state. So it's something that I have to communicate and it's something because again, it's a new technology that I have to try to help people understand because it's not something that they're used to. And so, you know, those are just like, that's just part of my, my role is also helping people to understand how to get the best accuracy and the best performance from the device. But the thing I'm really, really excited about with this second generation is that I noticed that most of my customers or users of the tone device were not like going for the, you know, super deep ketosis because it's a wellness device. It's not a medical device. It's not approved for medical use or anything like that. It's purely to get feedback on your rate of fat burning because your body is at its highest rate of fat burning when you're in ketosis. And it's really just for, for feedback information. So <laughs> I noticed that many of us are just doing time-restricted eating. Some of us are doing keto or low-carb 
And many of us are maybe doing occasional fasts, like a 24-hour fast once a week, that kind of thing. And we don't usually get like super deeply into ketosis. We don't get crazy high ketone numbers. So the new second generation is exquisitely sensitive to those smaller ketones. And the thing with breath acetone is it's such a tiny, tiny particle. You're measuring parts per million. (laughs) It gives you an idea of how tiny that is. Whereas when you're measuring with the blood, you are measuring millimoles per liter. It's much larger amounts. So it's very easy to quantify the numbers when you have a lot of breath acetone. It's much harder to do when you have less. So when you have large ketones, the accuracy of the device would go up. And then when you only were in light ketosis, sometimes it wouldn't be as accurate. So with this new second generation, we worked really, really hard, worked with this institute that studies acetone. We redid the airway mold inside and the program. And so it is extremely sensitive. So I've been using it now. You know, I'm not going that deep into ketosis myself on a day-to-day basis. Like I usually go start off the day like 0.2 millimolar. So on the tone device that reads as like a two or three or one, and then I'll go up to maybe like 0.6, 0.8. If I do some fasted exercise, it'll go higher than that. But I'm generally around like 1.0 millimolar and below. And every single time I test, I'm getting like a one-to-one ratio that happens to be my ratio, but I'm getting like extremely high accuracy on that. So that's the thing that I'm the most excited about with this new generation. It also has a new look, which is one of the things I love doing is creating products that people love, but creating products that are designed for women in the biohacking space, because most of the biohacking products are very masculine looking. They're not always designed by men, but in general, they have more appeal. I think more masculine like features and looks you know, big clunky rings and like (laughs) the tone is very feminine. I wanted to recreate the look and feel of like a lipstick case. And so that's what I took some of my inspiration from when I first created it. And the new second generation has the signature tone print on it. And I just think it's so beautiful. (laughs) So I'm really, really excited about that because it's fun to use, but it's also nice to have something beautiful that, you know, is just like cute and portable and feminine and reflects, you know, that feminine quality that <laughs> that I like to express. I want to try it so bad now. I can't wait to send it to you. I can't wait. I'm so excited. With blood testing, is the sensitivity also lower when you're lower ketone levels or since it's like a bigger, you know, it's per liter rather than per millions, is it not as much of an issue? Do you know? I don't think it's as much of an issue, but if you are someone who is like not necessarily always eating like a caloric surplus, or if you are someone who's like more lean and fit, like you are, and I know, like, I know you're not like doing tons and tons of gym workouts, but you do like EMS, like you do, you do biohacking, you do all these different things. You do cold exposure, cold exposure boosts ketones, you know, as well which we were able to see with the tone device that ice baths will really boost ketone numbers, the breath ketones, especially the next day. So I think you could still have some fun with it. Like I think you could still probably test in the morning with the tone. You could test like before and after 
doing like some cold exposure. You could test like right before you you open your eating window for the day and you'll probably see, you know, the numbers, you'll probably see the numbers increasing and that you're getting into. I would imagine you get into ketosis, you know, at some point in the day because you do usually OMAD. And so you're fasted most of the day and you're not just like sitting on the couch. Like I know you're a super active person, you know, you're using your, your brain pretty intensely all the time for your work, which is like metabolizing a lot of glucose as well. Like, so it'll be interesting to see because like I said, I know you practice cold exposure and stuff. So there's definitely things that you can kind of play around with and test, but you could also, I'm sure, well, you don't really need to do the MCT oil challenge because you already know that your ketones go through the roof. But if at any point you did do like a longer fast too, like you could also experiment with that. So I'm sure you'll be able to to see some results from it. And I, yeah, I can't wait to send you one. Hi friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me Oh my goodness, friends, I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And the 
look pretty awesome with my outfits, not gonna lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you wanna boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep and or optimize your partying, you need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm gonna use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. I am so excited. I'm like really excited. Thanks for being so supportive. No, I mean, this is like so cool. I think something people don't really think about as much and I probably didn't think about until launching a supplement line, which is, it's not just creating the product. Like you said, there's so much education that's required. And it's, and like, the question is like, I have all this information I need, like in the user's head, how do I like get it into your head? Cause you can't make them like read the manual. You can't make them listen to the educational information. A lot of people just want to take the supplement or pop out the device and use it. And it's like, how do I get people to like, listen <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I applaud you. Question about something else that would affect your blood sugar levels and or ketones. So going back to what you were saying earlier about how you had this epiphany moment about eating more protein, I as well had that. My epiphany, I think we probably have talked about this. My epiphany moment was I really, I like looked at the four macronutrients, like protein, fat, carbs, and alcohol. And I was like, which ones are least likely to get stored as fat. And I was like, that's alcohol and protein. I was like, so I'm just going to eat, eat protein and drink wine. I don't recommend that. It worked really well. <laughs> and point being, this is going to relate to something, the rabbit hole I would go down like for like ever was, is protein to glucose conversion? So gluconeogenesis, is that demand driven or is it substrate driven. So like if you have extra protein, will you turn it into glucose or is it only if your body needs it? And the debates in the rabbit in the forums of the internet are really intense. And I would always be like, why? I'd be like, why don't we just know that we should just know the answer to this, I feel. So my question is protein. If you have higher protein in general, but let's do it in the context of a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet, how might that affect your blood sugar levels and or your ketone levels? So yes, this is a question, and I always say it was one of my motivators for going back to school to study biochemistry because I 
would go crazy reading the endless debates online about whether it was whether gluconeogenesis was supply driven or demand driven. I had a bias <laughs> where I wanted to believe it was demand driven. And I interviewed so many scientists who confirmed my bias and they tended to be in the keto low carb space. Then I, it took me a while to accept this. However, I was in denial at first, but Dr. Don Lehman is my favorite protein scientist. And I think he's absolutely incredible. I mean, he studied protein, amino acids, his entire career. He discovered the leucine threshold. He discovered the fact that leucine initiates muscle, muscle protein synthesis. He's just such a phenomenal scientist and he's very matter of fact <laughs> about things. And I've interviewed him several times. Well, the first time he answered the question, I was still in denial about it, but I finally came around and accepted it. So the way that he explains it is that for every 100 grams of protein that you consume, about 60 grams of that becomes glucose. I was really in denial about it. Okay, wait, I, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm interrupting. 60 grams of protein becomes how many grams of glucose? Does it convert one to one? Now I'm like worried that I'm I'm getting it wrong. But he, yeah, he said about like it becomes 60 grams of glucose. And it's basically metabolized, like amino acids are metabolized and oxidized for fuel. And the way that he explained it is that when we are in a growth phase, protein protein is always a building block. But when we're in a growth phase, so if you're young and you're growing, if you are just growing muscle, like you're an athlete and you're doing regular resistance training, you're growing. If you're pregnant, you're growing. <laughs> and, you know, there's these different stages of life where we're growing. But he explained it that if you're in that stage, like a lot of that protein is actually going to build muscle. But if you are not growing, then it is becoming glucose because he said that a lot of us for a large proportion of our lives, we're not growing. We are like steady state, kind of like we're maintaining. And so, you know, a huge part of the protein that we consume is actually just oxidized from the thermic effect of food. But he has said like, on multiple interviews that I've done with him that you get about 60 grams of glucose. I think Dr. Gabrielle Lyon also talks about it because she learned it from him. Maybe it's in her book. I think she does mention it. That's so interesting. I'm wondering, I saw one study once, <laughs> I have to refind it, where people, where they added, all they did was add protein to people's diets and they didn't exercise or anything. And the people actually did gain muscle mass. That presumably is extra protein becoming not glucose. Right. But so you actually, because we we have protein turnover, like our protein turnover rates are pretty high. We actually just need, like he, the way he explains it is like, it's like a brick wall. Imagine a brick wall and that's like your body protein. And every day, like some of the bricks are falling out. So the protein that you eat is providing some of the bricks that go back into the wall, but you don't need all of them all the time. 
because you have protein turnover. So you also have like, there's different numbers. Like most of the numbers that I usually go with are the ones by Yoshinori Osumi, who won the Nobel Prize for discovering autophagy and different applications of autophagy. But he he says that we have anywhere from two to 300 grams of protein is turned over on a daily basis. So some of the protein, you know, we're breaking down and recycling. And that's like the low level autophagy. And then some of the amino acids that we eat go to like putting bricks into that wall. And a lot of it is oxidized. But the beauty of protein is that it is broken down over anywhere from like five to seven hours. So it's like for me doing, for example, on carnivore, I think I told you before, the first time I wore a CGM, I was doing carnivore and my blood glucose was like 85 for 24 hours. Like it never moved. It was just a flat line. And it's because the most of what I was eating was protein and it was just being metabolized so slowly. So even if it is turning into glucose, it's okay because you're using it you're using part of it as energy. You're also using part of it as building blocks. And a lot of it is also being burned off due to the thermic effect of food, which fascinatingly, Dr. Don Lehman attributes to the initiation of muscle protein synthesis. And what's fascinating about that to me is that if you are getting 30 grams of protein at a meal of high quality protein, and you're getting 2.5 to 3 grams of leucine at that meal, you will initiate muscle protein synthesis because the level of leucine in your blood will increase by two to three grams, 2.5 to three grams, which maxes out muscle protein synthesis. But what if every time you eat, you're eating 20 grams of protein? So you're never triggering muscle protein synthesis. Like, shouldn't that affect the thermic effect of protein? Because you're not really building muscle with it. So then it's just like all being turned into glucose. So it's really important to make sure every time you eat a protein meal that you at least hit that threshold, whether it's with actual protein, protein supplementation, or a supplementation of BCAAs, including leucine. So that also is fascinating. But to me, so as a protein scientist, like that's what he believes. I believe that's also what Dr. Gabrielle Lyon believes from their work and research, you know, in the lab. But I have to say, like, I've talked to a lot of scientists on the podcast who say that it is demand-driven, some of them being protein scientists as well. So, you know, not everyone always agrees with each other on these things, as you were saying, like, there's a lot of hot, like, controversial debate about this topic. And it's because we don't fully know. So you kind of have to, like, I'm okay (laughs) with a little bit of uncertainty because that's what I found, like, through science. The thing that blew my mind when I really started studying biochem was, like, and physiology was, like, oh, my gosh, there's so much we don't know. (laughs) Like, It's terrifying. Like there'll be whole sections in textbooks where they're like, we have no idea what this thing does yet. And I'm like, wait, no, I thought you guys had it all figured out. Like, what are you talking about? Like they have no idea. Like there's huge gaps in knowledge and in our, you know, scientific knowledge as vast as it it is. And I think this is one of those areas where 
you kind of have to live a little bit in the gray, like, okay, maybe some, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe it's, it's supply driven. Maybe it's a combination. We don't fully know yet, but you know, there's different, like everyone's best guess, right. Is, is what's going on. But I, like I said, I feel like I've reluctantly acknowledged, I think Dr. Donnayman's probably right about it, (laughs) but the take home is you want to be in a growth phase. Like you want to be building muscle. And I agree with you. I just did a podcast episode about this study that was done in women where all they did was add 16 grams of protein per day during a caloric deficit of 450 calories. And those women, even though they were eating more calories than the other group, they burned more fat and gained muscle. I gained muscle just from eating protein. I gained eight pounds of lean mass when my body went down to 21% body fat. I wasn't working out. So there's definitely some things, you know, that we still don't fully know and understand. And so I'm okay being a little bit in the gray with it, you know. They sound like the similar things, the certainty versus the randomness. But so not having certainty about like not knowing the answer. So like in the textbook where it's like, we don't know why this happens. That actually doesn't, I mean, I want to know, but it doesn't distress me. What distresses me is randomness, like is certainty about randomness. So if it's like, like with that percent where it's like 15 to 20% spontaneous, because then I'm like, there's no way of knowing what it will be. Like if we just know that it it is random. Like one of the things that stressed me out so bad was when I learned about the immune system and that it's r- really just randomness as far as, and this is like saying it super casually, but like basically the immune system has all of these different patterns that may or may not fit viruses. And if it just randomly fits it, then the immune system identifies like, oh, this is, you know, like a bad thing. And it's like, completely random, but there's like so many immune cells that the chances are that it'll just like bump each other and connect is good. That's why like we (laughs) find the, the viruses and the flus. And I'm saying that so, so casually that bothered me so bad. I'm like, it's all random. Like (laughs) I can't handle it. I found the quote though. In um, Gabrielle's book, she did say, she said, some amino acids from protein are converted to glucose in the liver through a process called gluconeogenesis. For every 100 protein grams consumed, roughly 60 grams of glucose are produced in the body. Do you have thoughts on the other intense debates people would have about this, which was, is it stressful in a negative way for the liver to engage in gluconeogenesis? That was the other thing I'd be like in the rabbit hole about. I think that just my personal opinion, I think that we often attribute this word of like stressful to, it's an emotional word. And we attribute it to physiological processes. I often just spend time thinking about this when I'm out walking or like just in contemplation where I'm like, we really shouldn't be using emotional words when it comes to the physiology, because I don't think that like it's used very casually. Like people will say intermittent fasting is stressful. Dieting is stressful for the body. Gluconeogenesis is stressful for the body. I don't really think it is like our body is set up to do certain things and you just don't want to overdo certain processes. Like I would say certain things like 
you know, overactivating insulin. Obviously, that leads to insulin resistance. There's situations where, you know, you can cause like quite a lot of blood vessel damage from having chronically high blood glucose all the time. But would I say that's stressful? Like, I don't know if it's, and it's nothing about your question because I, I talking about in general, like how people attribute this. And I had this, this really fascinating conversation with, with Ari Witten, the author of a couple of books, including a book on red light therapy. And he's currently writing a new book about hormesis. And he says that we have a problem with our relationship to stress where like, you know, we often consider hormesis, which is a hormetic stress to be a good thing. Like we stress our muscles and therefore they grow stronger, you know? So in that context, stress is great. (laughs) Like you want to have big muscles, right? You want to have as much muscle as possible because your muscle keeps you strong. It has more mitochondrial density in it, like for so many reasons. So why do we sometimes have this like very negative view of stress or negative relationship with stress when it often brings out the best in us? (laughs) Like it challenges us. It causes us to rise to challenges. But when you're talking about physiological processes, like I think in general, like they're pretty benign. I don't think that really like using gluconeogenesis, and I've talked to a lot of protein scientists about this, Dr. Don Lehman, who I'm bringing up again, because I'm just such an admirer of his work, you know, he says like basically you will always benefit when it comes to your blood glucose and your insulin whenever you replace carbs with protein. And, you know, I like, I like to make my own glucose, like through my liver making gluconeogenesis. And in the process, 30% of the calories consumed from the protein are being burned off. They're being oxidized. And that protein, whether it's being converted to glucose or not, is being released in such a way that it is extremely like gradual. So, I think that relying on gluconeogenesis, I don't think it's stressful personally. I think it's just a physiological process. And we haven't seen any negative outcomes from that in research. A lot of people believed that consuming high protein was bad for the kidneys, that it could negatively affect the glomerular filtration rate. Turns out it actually is good for the glomerular filtration rate. It's good for the kidneys. There's certain situations where people who have impaired kidney function, they probably would not do well with high protein, but that's typically the only scenario where there's a compromised kidney or liver function. But if you have a fully functioning, healthy physiology and your liver and kidneys are functioning just fine, I don't think that it causes any stress. (laughs) But it's a personal opinion. It's based on research I've done and interviews that I've done with with people that I've pointedly asked this question to. And my health has only improved since relying on gluconeogenesis more and more. So, you know, as an N of one, I, I don't think, I think it's probably done the opposite for me, especially because protein displaces fuels like carbohydrates, especially processed carbohydrates or other carbs that would have a more negative effect potentially on my blood glucose and insulin. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer, but that's, that's my personal opinion on it. 
I love that so much. That is such a beautiful mindset about the how we ascribe emotions to these, you know, physiological processes. Yeah, because for me, like, I feel like I found gluconeogenesis and I was like, oh, this is like, this is great. I can make my own glucose. I don't have to rely on carbs. Like, I love protein. And then it was like the debates in the Reddit forums. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, same thoughts. Okay, well, one other thing to touch on, because you keep mentioning, or we're talking about the protein threshold and leucine and all of that stuff. So when it does come to getting more protein in our diet, I know a lot of people are often looking for ways to do that. I don't personally struggle with that that much because I eat so much protein, but I know you are specifically formulating your upcoming protein powder to address all of this. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I would love to. And thank you for asking me <laughs> about it. I've, I, th- I think what's really interesting is that there's a, a certain negative perception out there about whey protein, whey protein supplementation, that it is something that's highly processed. It's really bad for your blood sugar, for your insulin, when it's actually one of the best foods out there or supplements for body recomposition and for fat loss like it I, i've seen endless amounts of studies done on especially using whey protein shakes whey protein isolate and whey protein hydroxylate and the amazing effects it has on body composition and by that i mean boosting fat loss and also protecting muscle mass and lean mass and even in some cases boosting muscle and lean mass. And it really is so consistent in the research, in the weight loss research. And one of the things that if is critically important when anyone is doing any kind of weight loss or fat loss and doing caloric restriction, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the, this episode, traditional or standard approaches to dieting with high carb, low calories can have upwards of 40% of lean body mass loss. And so when you are dieting or your body is stressed (laughs) in any situation, you have to do things to protect that lean mass. And high protein macronutrient distributions during weight loss and fat loss are exceptional for protecting lean body mass and therefore protecting your metabolically active tissue, which keeps your metabolic rate higher and inducing the loss of fat. So what's really amazing, there was one study done where they compared the metabolic activity and the calorie burn from eating a high-protein meal that was served to these these mice and it was a rodent study. So they they were feeding them a high protein meal and the calorie burn was equivalent to going for an hour run. So every time I'm eating a high protein meal, I'm like, it's like I just ran an hour outside. And it truly, this is like real science done by some of the scientists I admire the most. So it is your best friend when it comes to body recomposition. If you're wanting to lose some body fat and and gain some lean mass or protect your lean mass. And so I've found just like you, Melanie, that a lot of supplements out there are problematic. I've been searching for, it feels like years and years for a super high quality whey protein isolate. 
unfortunately, a lot of the brands out there, when you actually look at the ingredients, it'll say whey protein isolate on the front, but when you turn it around, it's actually ingredients are listed in the order of their content. So you'll actually see that first ingredient is whey protein concentrate, which is a cheap version of whey protein. And the problem with that is that whey protein isolate is the purest, highest quality protein. It has all the lactose, all the casein, and all the fat removed. But whey protein concentrate does not. So a lot of people have had negative experiences taking whey protein that was actually concentrate, and they experienced either some kind of inflammatory reaction, digestive issues, bloating, discomfort because of the casein, lactose, and fat. But when you have whey protein isolate, it is completely pure. And so I wanted to create something that was 100% whey protein isolate, didn't have unhealthy toxins, fillers, chemicals, and didn't contain sugar or artificial sweeteners and was extremely delicious (laughs) and tasty. So I wanted to create something that I would personally use every day. And in order to do that, I had to special order, custom order from food manufacturers, like just whey protein isolate. I couldn't find a supplement on the market that like would do what I would do, what I wanted. So I basically created my own from, you know, ordering from different suppliers and then combining the ingredients myself. So I wanted to create something like this that, you know, could come prepackaged for myself and for anyone else who was interested in it. And I just think it's such an amazing tool. The other thing that I did with it is scientifically optimize the formula to help you initiate muscle protein synthesis. And so with a smaller volume of the protein, you can make sure that you're going to trigger muscle protein synthesis because we've added leucine to it. And that's another problem that a lot of people had with digestive issues is that sometimes you have to take these massive scoops of the protein powder in order to get enough leucine because it wasn't high quality. So with a pure whey protein isolate that is optimized and formulated scientifically to help you initiate muscle protein synthesis, you're going to be doing it in the most efficient way. And I use it every single day. I just have a small scoop and I'm able to even have it after a full meal and not feel bloated and uncomfortable afterwards because it's so high quality and it is optimized and efficient to help you build that lean mass. So I'm really excited about it. I partnered with your partner, Scott at MD Logic. We're creating Tone Protein powered by MD Logic and it is launching in the next couple of months here. So I'm super excited about it. And You know, it's something that I think just like really lines up well with all the research and the information education that I put out. And, you know, I just found that this was such an invaluable tool for people when they're wanting to hit that protein target. You know, I generally recommend that people shoot for around 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram per day, which is equivalent to about 0.72 to 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight if they're sort of average sedentary person up to 2.2 grams per kilogram, which is equivalent to one gram 
of protein per pound of optimal body weight or current body weight if you are doing resistance training and you're active. So in order to meet that protein target, having a protein supplement that is scientifically optimized to help you build muscle is going to make it much easier to get that protein in and to make sure that you hit you know, your protein target. Because as we were talking about earlier as well, if you don't hit that protein amount to trigger muscle protein synthesis, then you are more likely that that protein will be mostly converted to glucose. And that's definitely not what we want. We want to trigger muscle protein synthesis and help us to balance out that muscle protein breakdown that's occurring every day and, you know, put all those bricks back in that brick wall. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste, Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. 
That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That is so incredible. I'm so excited for listeners to get this. Is it going to be unflavored? So I'm definitely going to come out with an unflavored version, but the first one is vanilla. (laughs) And I'm dying to make cookies and cream. That's something that is in the works because it's my favorite flavor for whey protein. But with the vanilla, I find like it's relatively equivalent to unflavored in that you can blend it in anything. So I make a daily shake with frozen berries, ice, unsweetened almond milk, and the protein, and it tastes absolutely delicious. It's like this huge like frosted smoothie, and it is like the vanilla flavor just sort of like complements the berries, but you could have it on its own without berries in it, and it'll taste a little bit it's got a hint of vanilla to it. So definitely working on an unflavored version as well because I have had requests for that too. And there's so many flavors that I want to make and that I'm excited about. It's so exciting. And it reminds me, I mean, we didn't even get to go into it as much, but I wanted to talk to you more about your entrepreneurial journey and creating all of these things. But okay, so for listeners, how can they get on depending on when they listen, the the protein powder, the tone device, how can they get all the things? Well, thank you for asking. So for the new second generation tone device, we're going to be offering a big launch discount on it. So if you want to receive that discount, you can go to tonedevice.com and sign up with your name and email and you'll be the first to know when it is available to order and you will also get the exclusive launch discount. I've never offered a discount on the Tone device before, but I'm so excited about this new second generation that I really want to offer listeners, you know, a an exclusive discount. And the same goes for Tone Protein as a launch incentive because I want everyone to get to just try it out and see how you like it. We're going to be offering the biggest discount ever with the launch. And you can sign up to receive that discount by going to toneprotein.com. And again, sign up with your name and email and you'll find out as soon as it is available to order and you'll also get that exclusive launch discount. And I'm I'm just so excited for everyone to try it and let me know how they like it, but I'm pretty sure that you're going to love it <laughs> as much as I do. And the same goes for the tone device. Like I I just had to hand the tone devices, I have two of them right now, over to my photographer for a couple of weeks and every day it was like, uh, I can't wait to have them back. Cause like they're such an integral part of my day. You know, like you have your certain biohacking things that you do every day. And I was so relieved like when they brought them back over a couple of days ago and I'm just, it just feels, it feels right <laughs> to have them back by my side. And you, I can't tell you how many messages I get like that from users of the tone who just say like they love it so much and they use it every day. And, when anything goes wrong, like if they lose their charging cable or they leave it somewhere, like they're contacting me and they're like, I need the tone device. I need to get a new one or I need a charging cable or something. You get really attached, you know, to using it every day and, and the the valuable feedback that it provides. So I can speak to it because I feel the same way about it. And yeah, thank you so much for for asking me about it and just being so supportive about all these things. You're such a wonderful supporter of of your friends and your friends' endeavors. And you know, I just appreciate it all so much. <laughs> 
No, of course. I'm I'm just so excited for you. And um I love so for listeners, if you enjoyed the show and you and you don't listen to the intermittent fasting podcast, or even if you do, check out that other show because Vanessa and I co-host that together and we just have we just have the most fun time ever. It's really getting to know you more and more has been one of the most beautiful treasures of my life. Like anytime I ever <laughs> talk about you, I'm just like She's the most fabulous, beautiful, magical person. So I am just so forever, ever grateful. Sending you all the emojis. Um, Oh, which speaking of, the last question I ask every single guest on this show, because I just realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? Oh my gosh, just one thing. I could do another hour. I know, right? We could have like the grateful episode. I'm I'm really, really thankful for my family, you know, for for having wonderful family, relatives, everything, and especially for our son Luca and our baby, our second baby that's coming in a few months. I just feel so, so thankful and blessed that I am pregnant again. And we're just so excited to have another baby and to keep growing our family and there's just nothing like being together as a family, going on adventures together and, you know, just seeing like seeing Luca grow every day. And like, he's just such an amazing little human. And I never thought that I would end up necessarily becoming a mom. And now it's my favorite thing in the whole world. So I'm just really, really thankful that I was, you know, that we've been blessed with Luca and that we have another another little baby <laughs> coming soon. And it's, it's, it's just such a blessing. I'm, I'm so, so thankful for it, but I could go on for like an hour about all the things I'm thankful for, including your friendship and our connection and, and our high vibes. I just so thankful for all of it. It's so incredible. That was a whole nother topic I wanted to talk to you about was mom life and family life and doing that with keto and fasting. And cause I know you have potentially controversial (laughs) ideas, but we'll just have to put that as a teaser. Maybe have you back on in the future and also talk to you tomorrow when we we record intermittent fasting podcast. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I seriously can't wait. But thank you so much for coming on. I I cannot wait for listeners to try all of your stuff. It's, It's going to be epic. So friends, we'll put links to everything in the show notes. Yeah. Have a magical evening in Prague. Thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing sparkly day. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be on your incredible podcast. I'm so honored to have you. Thank you. (laughs) We'll talk to you later. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.